At the intersection of ideas and action, this is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. I'm Longitude Fellow Wendy Liu. Welcome to our Longitudes of Imagination series, where we're exploring the roles of individuals, technologies, and research that is helping advance understanding of our oceans. In our current series, we speak with the members of the Schmidt Ocean Institute, which is a philanthropic foundation that is enabling scientific expeditions on their research vessel Falcor at no cost to the world scientists. In today's episode, we featured highlights from a conversation I led with Eric King, senior director of operations at SOI. As a young professional who studied physics. Worked on seismic data analysis projects, and now learning about the edtech field, I was interested in to hear about how Eric got started at SOI and brought together the oceanographic community around the world to successfully help launch a wide variety of pioneer research projects. I came on to the organization right at the very beginning, right at 2010, when this organization purchased a used vessel, and then we began to convert it into a, an oceanographic research ship. All we had was this idea, this concept of this ship. But at the time when we first began, but we knew that the the oceanographic science community globally, you know, needed some additional players. They needed some additional assets. And some new opportunities to provide to the scientists and the researchers, engineers, technologists, the the chance to go to sea, not just to collect data, but to perhaps troubleshoot and test some of their robotic systems or some of their theories with with new、uh, new systems to collect that data. So I came in in a role that was called the marine operations manager. Then over the years, have you know、uh, moved through the the ranks, but. Really, there were no ranks because I was one of the uh, uh, first employees to be hired. What we've done over the years, and what I've been primarily focused on, are really three things. The first is the overall operation of our research ship, the Falcor, and now we're transitioning to our replacement vessel called Falcor Two. So everything that has to do with with ship operations and ship management and ship logistics, and that includes overseeing and ensuring that all of the scientific gear and equipment. Or in a state of pretty much cutting edge. So the second is related to the operation、um, of our actual science mission. So once we decide what type of program that we're going to support, what group of scientists, what the what's the specific discipline or multidiscipline that this、uh, group of scientists、um, want to conduct on our ship as part of a collaboration and partnering, because that's what we're about. First and foremost, it's about collaboration and partnerships because we can't do this alone. We can only do this what we do、uh, within the oceanographic community with partners. But once we've decided that,、uh, who we're going to partner with for the next year, the next couple of years, then I oversee the team that actually puts that program together. So we work very closely with the scientists to make sure that before they come, and we plan this a year in advance. For a one or two month cruise or an expedition, my responsibility is to make sure that 
but we have our team working with the scientists so that we're making sure that the, all the equipment on board is going to meet what they need to have uh, to be successful in their program. And then once they get on board the vessel, to ensure that we are actually doing the work at sea in a way that it meets their objectives. And then the third part is communication of what we're doing and helping to connect with those outside of our organization. I spent a lot of time working with other research organizations around the world within the international ship community, not just within the United States, of course, but across all continents, Oceania and Asia, Canada, South America, Europe, Scandinavia. And together, what we're trying to do and what I'm trying to do within our organization, because we're very young, we're only 10 years, we've only been doing this a short amount of time, is build these partnerships and these collaborations. So we don't want to just collaborate with just with the scientists and the researchers. We, we need to collaborate with the other organizations that are either government-funded or philanthropically funded like we are. One of the things that makes us unique, Wendy, is that we are we're solely funded through the philanthropy of our founders, Eric Schmidt and Wendy Schmidt. And because of that, that gives us some freedom to kind of maneuver in some unique ways that, uh, that others are, aren't always able to do so. So those are the three areas that I'm primarily responsible for and, and working on a day-to-day -day basis. Thank you, Eric. That's really cool. So you mentioned uh, how you manage the external relationship with the rest of the oceanographic community, and you also mentioned that your trip to Spain here is uh, to have an ongoing conversation of your ship into an oceanographic research vessel. So can you tell me more about that and how that lines up with the vision of SOI? Sure. So when um, when Eric Schmidt and Wendy Schmidt decided that they wanted to uh, have an oceanographic research vessel that would be made available to the, the greater scientific community around the world, um, they were very smart in their approach. And their, their tactic was to, to find a vessel we could convert into a platform that had state-of-the-art systems and that could pretty much sail the majority of the oceans and that would be a comfortable environment for communication and discussion and that could also serve as a catalyst to in inspire others to perhaps do something similar or to come along with us on, on our journey over the past 10 years you know we've supported you know, hundreds of scientists we've mapped uh, the seafloor well over a million kilometers square kilometers of the seafloor supported just thousands of, of miles of collecting data and what we've learned over the years uh, doing this is that the ship that we have actually uh, was good, but we can do better so that we can expand on what we've been doing and provide even greater assets and greater capabilities to the science community. So uh, last year, our founders uh, identified um, another vessel that they wanted to bring into the organization to replace the one that we have now a vessel that could support more scientists, uh, stay at sea longer, uh, work in the, the deep ocean, uh, support robotic systems, be far more capable and stable as a platform uh, for working in a variety of harsher climates and environments, and uh, one that was gonna be really reliable for decades to come. 
and it was built in 2011 here in Vico, Spain, where I am now. And we brought the ship back to its original shipyard. It was originally built as a, an energy sector uh, support vessel. And now here we are uh, taking the ship and completely converting some of the interior spaces uh, into scientific laboratories. We're adding a, a tremendous amount of multi-beam and single beam echo sounders and scientific uh, sonars to the ship, and they're all gonna be installed in the hull. Uh, it's gonna be actually one of the largest suites or arrays of, of scientific echo sounders uh, and sonars on, on any oceanographic research vessel. And then we're putting in additional capabilities for launching and recovering robotic systems off the side of the vessel and off the, the stern of the vessel. And we're adding capabilities and capacities for additional scientists. So by the end of this year, we're going to have a, a ship that really is going to be absolutely fantastic for the scientific community to use. And this ship is being offered to the scientists around the world at no cost to them. So we're funding the entire uh, program. The scientists, when they're on board, will have access to all of the equipment, including our robotic vehicle that we built. It's called Sebastian. Mm -hmm. We built that in 2014 and 15. And we've had nearly 500 deep sea dives with the vehicle with our science collaborators over the years. And we're going to make all this available to them at, at no cost. It's going to be quite a, a, quite a facility. The facility part of it is integral. The ship, which is called now the Falcor 2, and that's T-O-O-2. It's in parentheses, too, by the way. It's Falcor, and it's two in parentheses. We're providing now so much more than, than just a research vessel. I mean, we are working with communities uh, really trying to uh, bring awareness to ocean health, to conservation, to the importance of just understanding the ocean. I mean, you cannot just look at the ocean in one square, one cube of, of water by itself and understand the ocean. It, the earth is a living, breathing planet. You know, it's, a, it's one massive system. But to understand that system is incredibly hard. And of course, the closer that you look, the more complex it becomes. And the more data that you collect, you realize that um, to understand that data, you actually need more data. And to understand that data takes an incredible amount of computation power. So it's a, it's a really exciting time. And, and we share what we're doing with the rest of the science community, those that are operating research ships. And we're also trying to learn from them. Exactly. But for 10 years, you guys are just super impressive from what I just heard, because you just told me about the big picture of operating marine vessels around the world and, you know, all the key components such as the data transmission and also the crew operation and all that. And it's amazing how you are building this facility for the world to use for free. So what types of research projects are managed at uh, SOI? Can you give some examples where your team or other scientists on board accomplished something amazing, something you didn't necessarily expect at the first place? So a few good things have come out of COVID. Mostly it's been very unfortunate and very bad. But the few good things that have happened 
And one of them, in very particular to us, to Schmidt-Osch Institute and our operations, is that uh, we kept our ship, Falgore, uh, in Australia for a year and a half. We'd only meant to be in Australia working for about nine months. But because of COVID, the beginning of 2020, uh, we found ourselves needing to keep our ship there because for logistics purposes, for the health and safety of our crew and, and those that we were working with and our other operational considerations, staying in Australia was the best decision. And what we did in Australia, we really advanced our abilities to uh, support scientists who were working from home. So we had several expeditions where we didn't have any scientists on board. It was just our crew, our technicians, and we allowed them to participate remotely through uh, what we're calling telepresence and telecommunications and teledata. And that means that the scientists actually see in real time and also direct the operations from their perspectives, from the things that were important to them for a particular expedition for a month or even two months. While at sea, we were mapping the seafloor or we were sending our robotic vehicle down to look at specific targeted areas at their requests based on the data that they were getting in real time from the areas that we were mapping. And in particular, we spent months mapping the Great Barrier Reef off the east coast of Australia. We mapped hundreds and hundreds of, of square kilometers, thousands actually, of square kilometers of seafloor. It was one of the largest seafloor mapping campaigns that's ever been done in Australia and the Great Barrier Reef. And we were uh, so dedicated uh, to mapping in the Great Barrier Reef in an area called uh, the Coral Sea that uh, we are now featured um, as a very special exhibit at the Australian National Maritime Museum in Sydney. Uh, being there in Australia for a year and a half was, was really uh, unprecedented. It's the longest time for sure any non-Australian research vessel has, has been working in their waters. Uh, we've made some really great friends. I mean, the collaboration was fantastic. The creativity uh, of the scientists that we were working with and trying to figure out how we could make best use of our ship in their waters uh, was, was just un unprecedented. It was a, a fantastic opportunity. When you mentioned about the contribution to the Australia kind of uh, marine science and how you were able to make great friends there. That kind of reminds me of another thing I want to ask you about, which is your interest in this field. So um, did you always know that you want to work with the ocean when you were younger? When did you first develop your interest? And how did your career take you to the Schmidt Institute? So I went to this school for four years. It's called Maine Maritime Academy. It's one of five maritime academies in the country and learned how to be a sailor on commercial vessels. Uh, but while I was there, I took a couple of courses in oceanography. And I always had just parked in the back of my mind that, that interest in what's happening below the surface of the ocean. And back then, I didn't really comprehend how vital the ocean was to the entire ecosystem of the planet. 
And I did a few things after I graduated from college. And uh, I met some people from the University of Washington. And I learned that uh, there was a job opening at the School of Oceanography for someone to come and uh, manage their oceanographic research vessel that went out to sea for months at a time and worked with scientists from all over the United States. And I didn't know anything about the ocean sciences, but I knew ships could be, I had been working with uh, ships for, for years before then. And I thought, my gosh, this is really an interesting opportunity to. So I became a, an employee of the University of Washington School of Oceanography about 20 years ago. And I really quickly fell in love with the work that we were doing, the people that we were connecting with, the benefit of the science that we were doing, suddenly the, the work had real meaning. You know, I, I was able to take this, uh, this very tangible uh, technical knowledge of, of vessel operations and now add to that uh, this growing understanding, this learning of the oceanographic community and the ocean sciences. I found myself really excited about, about working. After about eight years at the University of Washington, I, I'd gone back to graduate school when I was there and completed the graduate degree, a degree in public administration. I learned of this opportunity, where I am today, about this new organization that was just starting. It was a nonprofit organization funded by a philanthropic family that wanted to bring this a new platform, this oceanographic research vessel, uh, to the scientific community. It was just an idea at the time, an opportunity that I, I couldn't pass up. And since then, every day is, is learning so much more. And, and our strategic plan is going to bring us over the decade to a place where uh, we can far expand what we're doing and, and move it beyond just the what we're doing on the water surface. We're looking into the sky, into the atmosphere. We're looking inwards to land, trying to bring that all together. Such such a, a dream for me that I never even knew existed in a, that rural town of Maine back in the 1980s. Wow, this is a great story. Yeah, you mentioned how the scientists are collaborating together and you're doing something that's so new. And I just wonder if you can share something about creativity. How much room is there for creativity in your field? And like, can you share some examples? Sure. So uh, scientists have been collaborating since the beginning of time, really. And that's no different with the with the ocean sciences. And, and they collaborate with other organizations. And there's different levels of collaborations and different meanings behind collaboration and partnering as well. But one of the things that we try to do to, to expand on how we collaborate and how we partner is through opportunities and giving the scientists and the researchers, the technologists, the engineers that uh, that we seek out and we hope they seek us out is to do uh, just as we're talking about, uh, about being creative. There are certain ways that we think science should be conducted. There are certain ways that we think we should collect data. There are certain ways that we think that we should uh, process information, but that was how we thought about things yesterday, the day before. What we're really most interested in is technology and how technology can surprise people in, in ways that we never could have imagined. But to do that, you have to open your mind. And we don't talk about thinking outside of the box. 
we actually want to push to all corners of the box. We want to push beyond the corners of the box and expand the box, really. And to do that, though, is, is a bit of some retraining, perhaps, in the way that we've been doing business for the hundreds of years and, and even the way ocean sciences are taught today. And we're seeing that happen already. You know, we now know you can't just study one spot in the ocean. We have space and time issues. And we also have to look at what's above the surface or even at the, the, the very top layer of the surface. There is, it's a whole ecosystem just at the surface of the ocean. And then we look inland, you know, to, to understand what's happening inland far thousands of miles inland you know, we have to have an understanding of what's happening in the ocean and even at the, the deepest parts of the ocean so to pull all this together uh, when we're talking about creativity we need technology we need robotics we need software we need uh, artificial intelligence uh, we need machine-based learning we need minds that are trained and thought new ways. We need people from all over the world uh, to come and join us, not just from the United States or the North America or from the, the largest land mass in Oceania from Australia, where we made such great friends and, and collaborators. But there are brilliant people all over the world. And some of those brilliant people don't happen to live in areas where they have access to facilities like our new ship. So we need to reach them. And we also have to understand what is important to them. Our organization is trying to be a catalyst. We're trying to provide opportunities, especially to those people that don't have such access. Those that are in small island developing nations or coastal states where they, as I mentioned, they don't have any uh, resources. Our ways of conventionally looking at science and doing oceanographic research may not be their conventional ways. So how do we connect those two? How do we connect the ways that we're looking to do science on a big ship like what we're building with incredible technologies, a massive amount of infrastructure, but pair that with communities in, in coastal states that don't have access to haven't thought about doing research the way that we're doing it and the partners that we've worked with over the past decade. And the same thing for us. There's a lot of observational data and a lot of observational research that's done in small island developing nations and other coastal states by those who've been living in the lands far longer than we've been selling the sea. So the creativity part is really exciting especially when we're trying to think about doing ocean science in ways that we haven't thought of before. And sometimes you have to take a step back, take a breath, and actually look out of the windows every once in a while and not just at the screens um, that are in front of you that you've been staring at processing the seafloor data. I know, right? And that applies to so many other fields too. You have to step back and take a break and once you walk away and walk back, the problem is solved. <laughs> and I really like how you mentioned how it's not necessarily thinking out of the box per se, it's just to get into every corner of the box and expand the box. I also like your approach of how you are seeking for talents around the world, especially in those you know less represented areas and try to kind of level the playing field to kind of get the technology accessible to them, 
try to make make it accessible and understandable by every talent, that is really a good approach. And be, before your podcast goes out to influence other people, you have influenced me actually to a point that, you know, when you were saying how you're in Australia and uh, how you made so many friends and image the ocean floor, the reefs, the coral reefs. And I just feel like oh, I want to be there. I want to do that. So you have influenced me and I, I'll look into this. Oh, you should, Wendy. I mean, it, it, it is amazing. Just like I was saying before, the more data that we collect, the more that we learn, then the more we realize how little we know and how much more data we need to collect. But now we have the ability to even listen more closely and to study the animals that are in the ocean. It forces us to rethink how you know, uh, we go about our business and, and maybe not just rethink how we go about the business, but maybe retrain ourselves and also look for other ways or new areas that we should be studying. Um, I mean, it's just a, oh, it's incredible. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a great time to be in the ocean sciences world right now. After having the opportunity to speak with Eric, I have come to appreciate the role of collaboration and communication for the success of each mission. Besides his expertise in maritime science and the strong will to do good, Eric demonstrated to me that strong leadership skills are also critical for bringing a large group of scientists together. I appreciated learning about his experiences and want to hone my own communication skills so that I can unite people from different backgrounds to make an impact in my endeavors. We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts over social media and visit longitude.site for the episode transcript. Join us next time for more unique insights on Longitude Sound Bites.